Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather together in this way. I pray, Lord, that as we uh, look into your word and as it looks into us, that, Lord, you would do a work on each and every one of us. I pray that as we uh, try to understand this passage, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Help us to understand what it is to follow you, what it means to be like your son, and ultimately, Lord, how to be missionaries to this dark world. We give you this day in your name. Amen. Well, again, good morning. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, We are going through New Life Church's main core doctrines, core vision, uh, the the identity of our church. Last week, we talked about delight. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about connect. And today, we're talking about engage. And so I wanted to start with, you know, this is our little pamphlet that we have. This is an old version. We have a newer one, which you can actually find on our church's website at newlifechurchnw.com Sunday. So you can look at that if you'd like. But I want to start off with just one of the quotes from here about engage. And it's this phrase. It says, we, that would be us as a church, engage as missionaries. It goes on to say, Jesus has sent us on the extension of his mission. Now, I don't know about you, but I know there were many times in my life when I heard that we were supposed to be missionaries, that that was terrifying to me. That was scary. It was, it was intimidating because when I think of a missionary, I think of someone who goes to a foreign land and is in the jungle somewhere preaching gospel to people who have never heard it before. Or I think of mission trips that I know I went on as a kid where we would go door to door and knock on people's doors and try to talk to non-believers, people we had never met, about Jesus. I also think of the uh, street corner evangelist who's a missionary to all those people that are walking through. And I have to tell you, all three of those missionary views don't sound very appealing to me. They don't seem to be in my wheelhouse of skills. And so for me, I'm terrified by that. Now, our new version, the one that's online, which you can read, kind of softens a little bit, but it's still, there's a lot of apprehension here. The gospel moves us to mission, it says. The love of Christ compels us to be ambassadors for Christ with the ministry of reconciliation. Now, that word ambassador is the idea that I am a stand-in for someone else. Now, I have no problem being an ambassador to, for the United States. You know, President Trump, if you want to come get me, I'll be the ambassador to the Bahamas anytime. Right? That, that sounds amazing just to go and represent a country that some of the people in the world still like. But to be an ambassador for God, man, that's a high calling to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God. That's, that's scary. Now, I don't say that to belittle the writers of this because our um, mission, our, our statement is 100% biblical. And it's well-written, and it's very, very solid. It's, I just have a problem. I'm scared. I'm, I'm, I'm apprehensive about being a missionary. I'm apprehensive, like many of you are, about talking about my faith. What if someone asks a question I don't know? I'm not trained well enough. Or what if, what if I get rejected? What if someone doesn't want to be my friend anymore? What if I say something wrong? Oh, and before you know it, I'm a heretic. So all of this fear is swirling about when I hear things about us being missionaries. You know, maybe it's we don't want to leave our comfy spot. I like it here in Westland or Gladstone, Oregon City, Milwaukee or Clackamas. I don't want to go to somewhere else. That fear of rejection, which will happen. That fear of being looked down upon, which also happens. 
But ultimately, we all feel unprepared, untrained, unqualified, and yet we are called to be missions. We see that right here in our, in our, in our, our, our stance as a church. So how does this passage that we're looking at today deal with that? Well, first of all, it encourages me for the one main reason is that Jesus Christ, God's only son, prayed to the Father on your behalf in order to be a missionary, to be someone who can evangelize those who don't know the Lord, to be a witness. But embedded in this prayer is not only that Jesus prayed and God will answer his prayer, but it's also embedded in there is the how to be an evangelist, how to be a witness, how to be a missionary. Maybe it's going to send you to a different city, but most of us, it's going to leave us right where we are, but change how we view where we are. So let's, let's figure this out together. So my main idea is that Jesus has planted us in a mission field where he is sanctifying us, making us more and more like Christ through his life, death, and resurrection, thus leading to a testimony to the watching world. And as we, we look at this, I'm, I'm going to break this into three parts. We're going to look at some of the temptations we have to um, not be an evangelist. We're going to look at Jesus' request for us to be protected from the devil. And then we're going to look at the means by which God uh, makes us into his evangelists, into his witnesses, into his disciples. And that's through sanctification. So, but before we do that, we've got to kind of zoom back a little bit, okay? We're going to do the Google Earth view, the one where the entire Earth is in, in the picture. And that starts with two really basic things that are familiar to you if you've been in church for any amount of time. The first one is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is Jesus' mission statement, the big broad statement over everything. And underneath that, not because it's not as important, just but because it flows from it, is the Great Commission, which says, go into all the world, all the nations, baptizing them, making disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, and behold, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. So we have Jesus's overarching mission, our overarching mission over everything that we're going to talk about today. So now let's zoom in a little bit more and let's get to the book of John. Where are we in the book of John? Well, we've, we're, we're spending three weeks in John 17, which is Jesus's prayer for his disciples. But like everything else in the Bible, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. So there are things that precede it. And what's preceding it is starting in, verse, in chapter 13, Jesus is preparing his disciples because he's on his way to the cross. They don't quite get it. Many of them don't get it till after they see Jesus, right? After he's resurrected from the dead. But he's preparing them for times when he won't be there. And it starts with some warnings, but also some comforting. We see John 15, 20. A servant is not greater than its master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. That's us. That's the followers of Christ. In 16.2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. People will kill you and go, we just blessed God. 16.32, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. So he tells them that they're going to leave Jesus. They're going to run away from Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't just say, here's the bad news. He says, here's some comfort as well. He comforts them and he says, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan where you have no hope 
in this time. Instead, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, a helper. And he finishes off in chapter 16 with, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then he starts praying this prayer that we have been analyzing. One author writes, but in all this, there's a real reason for peace and hope. It's not the peace that comes when life seems to be working well, when the people around you seem to appreciate you, or when your health and finances are good. There is a sturdier peace to be found. It is found in knowing your heavenly Father is not afraid or will not be defeated by whatever makes you afraid and whatever power is there to defeat you. Peace comes when we rest in the grace that we are connected to the one who has overcome everything. Don't let your heart be troubled. All right, so the the idea here is that Jesus has said, I have overcome the world, and look, I am praying to God on your behalf, and go in that. So the first thing we see is we see two ditches, if you will, um, that as Christians, as we are in this world, we have a hard time not falling in the two ditches of worldliness and monasticism. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the word is, world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Slightly different translation, because I love that we have hundreds to choose from. It says, I have given them your word. The world has hated them, because their lives are not rooted in the world, just as I'm not rooted in the world. And I love that picture that Jesus says, we're to be rooted in him, not in the world. And that's the first ditch that we fall into. And I'll call it worldliness. And this is where we say, I want to be so liked and loved by the world because that's what makes you feel good, right? The world loving me, the world liking me. And so what we do is we, we put aside parts of Christianity and the Bible that we don't like because the world doesn't like it and so that the world will like us. But what does Jesus say here? He says, they will hate you, hated by the world. See, the world's never going to hate you if you're a lukewarm Sunday-only Christian. They're going to go, see, look, it's just like everybody else, except for he has, instead of going and doing, you know, this thing over here, he's going and doing his church, right? There's no, there's no, contra- there's no problem there. You're doing the same thing as the world. So the world never hates false Christians. They hate the Christians that look like Jesus. Because ultimately, the world didn't hate Jesus because he was a nuisance or odd or kind of quirky. They hated him because of the fact that he was pure and holy and he called out impurity and and sin in the lives of those around him. So the closer we get to Jesus, the more we approximate him, the more the hatred of the world is going to come out. Because the world loves its own. This is the, The world says, this is good, this is bad. This gets praise, this gets shame. But Jesus is not of this world, and he many times inverts what the world says. Now, we as Jesus' people, that ditch of falling into the wilderness, the middle, the, away from the ditch is the idea of we are people of the word. We are grounded in God's word. We've been given that. We have a new way of thinking. It's unworldly. A new way of living that's unworldly. 1 Corinthians says, uh, chapter 2 says, Through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are being perishing, who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, the other from fragrance from life to life. See, the world is our goal, not our source. It's our place of work, not our measure of worth. It's our mission field, but not our Messiah. We are to love 
the people of this world. And ultimately, we have to challenge ourselves to not fall into loving the world. So that's the first, that's the first ditch. The other ditch is what we'll call the monastic ditch or monasticism. Now that comes from a word, monk or monastery, which kind of has that root of mono, one, right? Um, that word monastery, it, you know, it's one of those words in the English that I, only happens in English. It's just a weird word. The word monastery means alone together. What a great word, alone together. But the idea here is that, well, if, if we can't be of the world, then we should be totally out of it. Let's go off and be in our cave over here, and we'll just worship God, and the world can come to us if they want. We don't want to be in the middle. See, as hostile as the world gets, Jesus does not remove us from that world. Wouldn't it have been great if at the moment we're justified in our faith with Jesus, he just pulled us up to heaven? That would be amazing, but he doesn't do that. He leaves us here in order to minister to this world. And until that last enemy is destroyed, the Christian task then is to with, not be withdrawn from the world, nor be confused with the world. Instead, it's to be in the world, maintain a witness, and as the world attacks us with all the malice and all the hatred, we understand that we are protected by the Lord. So why does God keep us in the world? Well, it's because it's part of his plan. He has a plan, he has a perfect plan to keep us and to grow us and to perfect us. Now, this is a difficult thing for us to grasp. It was difficult for people in the Bible. I can think of three instances in the Bible where people prayed to God, God, would you just kill me? Would you just let me die? Moses did that. Moses said, take me out of this life. It would be better if I was dead. Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19 said, this is a waste, Lord, end me. And then famously, Jonah as well. Oh, you want them to repent? Why don't you just kill me? And in each of these instances, they were not given what they, were asked for, what they asked God for. Instead, God in his wisdom said, you're staying here. And at bare minimum, it was so we would know that we are going to have to endure and we're going to have to persevere as well. But I think there's more to it. And that is, we are to live right in the middle. We are to be, make our home in this world but we are not to be at home in this world. What that means is we are to live in this world and interact in this world, but we are never to go, isn't this great? This is just so perfect. We love it here. And that's the heart of missions. Think about the fact that we are compared to light and we are compared to that beautiful aroma. We bring more light. If God had taken every single Christian out of the world when they became Christians, then where would the light be? There would be none. But you are little beacons of light that just shine brighter. And, and you're, you're making things smell better by your presence. And I love that picture. So that's the first. We have two ditches, worldliness and monasticism. We need to be right in the middle. Okay. Next thing we see in verses 15 and 16 is that Jesus asks God to protect us. 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Same thing there. They are not rooted in the world like I'm not rooted in the world. Now that, that keep them means protect or keep them safe would be a better way to say that. So this, this picture of Jesus going, God, keep them safe. See, this world is controlled by the evil one. Satan is in charge. He's defeated. He's destroyed. He's going to be destroyed. But he still seeks to try to take as many of the believers with him. 
Every other time in the book of John, when that word evil one is used, it is used as the devil is trying to kill Christ. We see this in 670 and 844 and John 13, 2 and 13, 27. And so every time it's the evil one wants to kill Jesus. And what Jesus has done here is he said, well, the evil one's going to succeed, kind of. He's going to kill me, but I'm going to resurrect. And when I'm out of the picture and I'm gone up to heaven, all of his, his attacking is going to be right on you. It's going to be totally directed at us. And because we're not of this world, we need help from outside the world. And that's where God comes in. This idea of keep them from the evil one is kind of like the third part of the, the Lord's prayer. Thy will be done. Not the devil's will, but your will, Lord. So God's way is not to take us out of the difficulties and trials, nor even to avoid them at times. His way is to enable us and to strengthen us so that we can go through them with our heads held high, undefeated, more than conquerors, over and over, and it's a wonderful thing. So God is protecting us because Jesus asked for it, and then we see that the means of his protection is sanctification. So protecting is the desire, and the way that he's going to protect us is through the means of sanctification. So our third idea here, 17 and 18, our sanctification by God's answering Jesus's prayer is what leads to our witness. Sanctify them in the truth, verse 17, your word is truth. 18, as you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. One translation says, exactly how I went, that's exactly how they're going to go. And I just love that. Now that word sanctify and sanctification, that's a church word. It's a churchy word. We don't throw that around. You know, you're not walking through Fred Myers and go, well, I want to sanctify that. You're not going to do that. That's not the way it works. It's a very churchy word. And, and it, it, what it means is to set aside something for a particular use. And the way it's used in the Bible is set aside exclusively for God's use. Notice that word, exclusively, right? So this is to say, it is set aside. This is God's and God's alone. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I am setting aside these people for God's use and God's alone. This sanctification, we confuse it with justification. Justification is where our sins are wiped away. That's when Jesus' death and life take away our sins. And that's a boom, that happens. Sanctification is a process. Now, some people have believed in the past that when you're, when you, when you're justified, you're immediately sanctified and you're made perfect. Well, we, we know that's not true. We see that in the lives of people around us. We see it in our own lives. So sanctification is a, is a long-term project. And God's going to work on that entirely until he takes us home to be with him. And so we're all at different places in our sanctification. And there's two parts to it. There's the relational one. And this is where we, we are separated from participating in and being influenced by evil. And then there's the moral one. And that's where we grow in holiness and moral purity in our attitudes, our actions, and our thoughts. Sanctification is from the, the word group holy, where we get the word holy from. And ultimately, the word sanctification, that, that word holy, is an adjective for God. It describes God. Now, it doesn't fully describe God, but it, it describes God in good detail. Ideally, if we're set apart for God and his purposes alone, we're going to do everything that he wants and hate everything that he hates. That's what it means. And praise be to God that we don't have to do this on our own. He promised the Holy Spirit to come along. In John 15, he says, But when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. See, we get confused by sanctification. 
Even as I say it's a lifelong thing, most people, Christians and non-Christians, will say, well, sanctification is all about just sinning less. So we're going to really try hard to sin less, sin less, sin less. But the Bible actually doesn't go about it that way. It does say here are the things you should avoid, but it's much more concerned with the holiness of the individual, of the person being more and more holy, more and more Christ-like. Basically, he's saying, I'm not so concerned that you take the occasion for sin away, but that you should take the man, take out of the man or woman the desire to take advantage of that occasion. So if sin is right there in the temptation, God's not saying, I want you to take that temptation away. He's saying, I want you to make it so that that temptation isn't even appealing. That expulsive power of a new affection. I don't long for that sin. Instead, I long for what Christ is giving me. The gospel of Jesus does not so much take the Christian out of the world as take the world out of the Christian. And that is the point. Sanctify them. Whenever the world is like around and about us, if the world is not in us, the world outside will not be able to affect us. And that's the glory of it all. We are in the midst of hell, but we are free right here and right now. Lloyd-Jones says, the business of the Christian in the church and the gospel is to see that you and I take so much of the pure milk of the word and the strong meat of the word that our resistance is built up to such an extent that we can, as it were, stay in a house of infectious disease and be absolutely immune. The germs are there, yes, but we are filled with the antibodies that destroy them the moment they attack us. I love that. So full of the pure milk of the word and the strong meat of the word, so full of God's word in us that we can stand in a room full of that infectious disease and absolutely not be touched. This is not to say we go and we stand in places where we would be severely tempted. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying, though, is the picture of being able to, to change your life in regard to sin has nothing to do with just avoid, 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 but it's to cling, cling, cling to God and to grab onto Him and His Word and let Him do the sanctifying in your heart. And we as the church... We are an extension of the incarnation of Jesus, the enfleshing of Jesus. The difference is that Jesus said, I am the way. We are to say, he is the way. And that's how we point people to Christ. And that returns us back to Matthew 28, to go into the world, to make disciples, which is a continuation of John 3.16. It was Christ's job, now it's our job. And just as the Father sent us into the world, so we are sent. So this is a commissioning verse. It's a commissioning service. It's saying, you are to go into the world. And the fundamental teaching of Scripture is that we as Christians are saved not to be safe, but that God may use us to save others. See, evangelism and witnessing is not hard. Scripture is not focused on how to evangelize. It's focused on the evangelizer and fixing the heart of each of us. It's not about external methods. It's about character. It's about relationships. See, ultimately, we need Jesus. Our character is the evangelism tool. Think of all the people that have been led to the Lord. Every single one has a slightly different story. None of them are the same. But ultimately, they all are changed. That's the same. We've all been born again. So the first step in evangelism is right here in this passage, in the sanctification. We must be sanctified in the truth, which means we are constantly digesting God's word. We are constantly digesting sermons and articles, and it's just nonstop. 
It's not just something we do over here and we've got all this other stuff in our life. It is our life. If Christians are to evangelize the world, we ourselves must first be right. There must be no contradiction between our message and our life. And the second step is to ask yourself, if my life's not influencing others to Christ, what's wrong with it? And I think you already know the answer based on the first step. Did the early church need evangelism classes? No. When they'd met the risen Christ, they were changed. They were told by others. Now, training can be helpful. It can give you encouragement. It can give you strategies that have worked in certain cultures. And I think there's value in all of that. I read books about evangelism, and I encourage you to as well. But ultimately, the the one that makes evangelism go is the same one that makes your heart quicken and want any of this in the first place, and that is the Holy Spirit. Look at the woman in the well in John 4. She was made right with God, and then she ran to tell others, and those others came. Did she, did she sit through a, a structured thing of this is how we do evangelism? No, she just couldn't help it. And it's the most genuine thing when you are on fire for the Lord and everyone around you sees it. See, ultimately, if, if we try to convince people to come to church or to come be a believer because we're going to give them happiness or joy or purpose, it's not the correct way. It's not that right relationship with God. And what you win them with is what you win them to. That's not to say that we won't have happiness and joy and peace if we know Christ, but what it is is that that's, a, that's, a, that's the fruit of reconciliation with God. Remember that in our, in, our, in our pamphlet we looked at? We are to be ambassadors about reconciliation to God. When we're right with God, all of that stuff, all of that fruit comes out. So sanctification is, is not fun. It's not always fun. It's stretching and it's pulling and it's God going, I'm going to make you more like Christ. It's about denying yourself. But it's ultimately God who does it in you as you are that willing vessel. And it ends up bringing the greatest joy, that joy and that delight that we talked about last week. We must start with God. And if you claim to be Christians, the claim we are really making is that we are God's people, his representatives, his ambassadors. And that we're going to tell people about God, we're going to bring people to God. So a Christian, by definition, is one who is to be like Christ. Therefore, when Christ says, sanctify them, make them like me, so that you can use them to glorify yourself among men and women in the world. So this is the picture. We need to be sanctified. And our act of sanctifying is going to change us so dramatically in a way that makes us stick out to this world that it evangelizes and we evangelize just because we can't keep back what it is that's inside of us. The change inside of us cannot be held back. And I've seen that in the lives of many of you where you become a believer and the next thing you know, this person's a believer, this person's a believer. There's a reason why we see that throughout Scripture and there's a reason why we see that throughout our lives is that this sanctifying, being made more like Christ is what the Holy Spirit does in us and it's what the Holy Spirit uses to preach to others. So we are missionaries. We're missionaries and we're planted right where you're at right now whether you're in a watch party, whether you're on your own, or you listen to this somewhere down the road, you are in your mission field. Now, does that mean the Lord's not going to call you somewhere else? No, but it means right now, this is your mission field. If you're not sticking out for the, world, for the gospel, if you're not looking different than the world, then you need to ask yourself, where do I need to dig? I need to dig deeper into the Lord. Because ultimately, sanctification is the goal. When we sanctify, we evangelize. Now, 
Let's look back at our church statement. This is the new one, the revised one. It perfectly mirrors what the Bible teaches. The one we, 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 we did first, the gospel produces personal change. The work of Jesus makes us new people and gives us new hearts and plants his spirit within us so that we live like new people. So we're new. We don't look like the world. So we're not over here in that worldly one. And because we're not going to go hide in some cave somewhere, we're right in the middle. We stick out. We are new creations. And then we get to the one we talked about today. The gospel moves us to mission. When we are living out that sanctified life, we are on mission. Everybody that encounters us is meeting a missionary. And the love of Christ compels us to be ambassadors for Christ with the ministry of reconciliation. That's that, that picture of what Christ has done for us and is continuing to do in us with his sanctification is making it so we can't help but tell. One famous evangelist said, God forbid that I should travel with anyone a quarter of an hour without speaking to them of Christ. And I love that. That's just a quarter of an hour. That's not even a lifetime spent with the person you're married to. It's not a lifetime with children. It's not every single day, 90,000 hours at a job that you work for 10 years, 20 years. It's not that. It's saying just even a minute, 15 minutes. I should tell them about Jesus. It's the most important thing. I can't help but think about when people have something, you know, a, a new baby or a new grandchild or something like that, and they, they pull out their phone, and, oh, I want to show you a new picture. And it's like, okay, that picture looks like the last 15 that you've shown me, but you're excited about it. You can't help but share. Look, 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 look at here. Look there. They blink during this one. It's awesome, right? You have all of that. You can't help but show because ultimately it's something that you're passionate about. You can't stir that up in you, but you can have the Holy Spirit stir that up in you through being willing and going to him and saying, Lord, stir that up in me. We have the good news. We need to share it. It should be something that everybody that we come in contact with knows about. When the gospel changes you, it changes all of you. And when you change and you're not rooted in this world, you stick out. And that delight that you get from being right with your creator confuses the world. But it also draws them in. Now, it's not going to draw everybody, but it's going to draw the ones the Holy Spirit's already working on. And this is the heart of evangelism. And this is the heart of witnessing. And that is what Christianity is on display for all to see in the life of those who follow Christ. We live in a dark part of the country. We have very few Christians in this part of the country. That just means the mission field is that much bigger. So my prayer for you today is that you will allow the Lord to do the sanctifying work in your heart daily so that you become a better missionary, a more clear missionary, a clear witness to those who are around you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word today and your, your son's word that we got to read nearly 2,000 years later. Thank you that he uh, said these words and John wrote them down and that we get to use them today. Lord, I pray that as we read your word and as we go about our day, that you would continue to sanctify us, that you would continue to make us more and more like your son. And Lord, we know that there's going to be um, people that are going to resist that. There are going to be people that hate that. But we also know, Lord, as the hatred is going on, there are going to be those who are attracted to it, attracted to that aroma, attracted to that light that your Holy Spirit's already been working on. So I just pray, Lord, that we would stick out, that we would be those believers who are on mission, that we would be those ambassadors 
to a fallen world who need to be reconciled with you. I just pray for that. I pray for our church that we would be on fire for you. Lord, we give you this day and thank you in your name. Amen.